Well, Alex, now you have a place to go. This was Norman's way of telling you, it's time to go. It was his way of giving you a second chance. It's a great gift, Alex. Hi, welcome to Around the World in 80s Movies. My name is Vince Leo. I am the author of the film review website, Quipster.net. I've been doing film reviews since 1996. You can read all of my written work there at Quipster.net, Q-W-I-P-S-T-E-R.net. While you're there, I do encourage you to check out the other podcast that I do called To the 90s and Beyond, very similar to this one, except I, of course, cover films of the 1990s as well as newer films that kind of tie in with the films of the 90s as well as the 80s to the 90s and beyond. Find it at quipster.net. Today I'm going to be getting into the fifth and final look at the psycho films kind of tied in with the 1980s. There's a film in the 1990s, 1998, there was a remake of the original Psycho that was done by Gus Van Sant. I'll cover that on to the 90s and beyond at some point in the future. But today's film comes from 1987. It's called Bates Motel. It was made for television, and it is not in any way, shape, or form related to the Bates Motel series that came out back in uh, 2013 and lasted about five seasons or so. In fact, it's barely related to any of the other Psycho films either. Bates Motel is, well, it's not really rated by the MPAA, but it probably would get a PG rating. It does have a, a... few scary images toward the end of the film, and there's a, a suicide subtext to uh, part of it, so not quite a G-rated film. It runtime is about an hour and 36 minutes if you watch it without the commercials. The cast includes the main star, Bud Court, along with Lori Petty, with supporting roles going to Moses Gunn, Greg Henry, Carrie Keene, Christine Hodge, Jason Bateman, and Robert Picardo. Richard Rothstein is the director as well as the screenwriter and the producer and the creator of Bates Motel. Now, Bates Motel, it was uh, announced back in February of 1987 to be a two-hour pilot for a proposed new comedy thriller series on NBC. Well, it wasn't really proposed to be a pilot. They just kind of released it as a made-for-television movie. But this was the brainchild of the screenwriter I just mentioned, Richard Rothstein, He was the creator of the HBO series called The Hitchhiker back in the 1980s. Universal already had the Psycho House, the Bates Motel on the Universal Studios lot. In fact, they had just finished all of their work with Psycho 3, and that made it a pretty easy pitch to try to start up a television show that was set there on location. However, once the pilot had been in the can, NBC had become pretty skeptical regarding the viability of this as a television series, as an ongoing series, because of the sinking ratings of their other anthology series that were in a similar vein, Amazing Stories and Alfred Hitchcock Presents. So NBC just decided to throw it out there as a television movie, and let's see what happens. 
if it gets bonanza ratings, then maybe they'll reconsider making it a series. It wasn't advertised as a pilot, even though it was set up as its main premise. It proceeds with a side story toward the end of the film that plays kind of like a twisted spin on Fantasy Island, and NBC hoped that if this was super successful, this Bates Motel series could fill up maybe a a 10 p.m. slot in their lineup sometime during the week. At the time of Bates Motel's appearance on television, there had already been two theatrical sequels to Alfred Hitchcock's 1960 masterpiece, Psycho, of course. This offshoot pretty much ignores almost completely Psycho 2 and Psycho 3. There is a little bit of copying the opening shot of the Bates Mansion from Psycho 2, taken directly from that film, but in many ways, it barely should even be called a sequel to Psycho. Even an alternate take, it changes a lot of that film's facts for reasons that aren't really made clear throughout the course of this film. It's a pilot premise. You know, the proposed anthology series that they were thinking of was going to have guests who check in, new guests every week, into the infamous motel. And while they're in their rooms or just on the premises, they enter this very bizarre realm where supernatural events can happen. The guests will confront at times their innermost fears through the course of whatever episode that they're in. And then they'll have a new episode with new characters the following week. Rothstein did create this as a proposed series specifically to star Bud Court. Bud Court was trying to shake his typecasting. He had had his breakthrough performance in 1971's Harold and Maude, and that breakthrough pretty much resulted in several years of Bud Court not working because he started looking for another project kind of like Harold and Maude, that was going to live up to the artistic caliber of that film. He wanted another home run. He even turned down what eventually became Brad Dourif's Oscar-nominated supporting role in One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. So he was really setting the bar very high in terms of what he was taking on. After the death of his father, Court was staying at the house of Groucho Marx at the Chateau Marmont. Until he got back on his feet, he spent nine months later in Paris singing when he started talking to uh, Leslie Caron, who told him he needs to stop waiting for another role of a lifetime to come along. He should just take whatever decent work he could get until that time comes. After a nearly fatal car crash in 1979, Court decided that life was just too short to wait for good things to come to him. He was going to have to get to work on things that maybe had some commercial success to try to help him financially in between his artistic pursuits. Now, the events of Bates Motel take place 27 years after the schizophrenic serial killer Norman Bates is arrested and found guilty by reason of insanity for his crimes. And while in the institution, Norman is introduced to this troubled young boy who happens to be incarcerated the same day. His name is Alex West, who's played eventually by Bud Court as an adult. Alex murdered his abusive stepfather in this giant tumble dryer in self-defense, and he ends up staying in the same institution as Bates for some reason. I don't know why they have children there along with the adults, but Norman does take the lad under his wing, at least until Norman's death. Coincidentally, the same year that Alex happens to be finally allowed out of the institution. According to Norman's will, how Norman Bates is deemed of sound mind when he's writing his will, while in a mental institution, I'll never know, but that's kind of subject to debate. Alex does inherit from Norman's will the Bates Motel and his his family home that overlooks it, and the property that they reside on. Anthony Perkins was asked if he would be interested in playing Norman, but he was absolutely not. He did suggest that they use his good friend and portrayer of Norman Bates as a stand-in and as a stunt double in Psycho 2 and 3, Kurt Paul. 
In exchange for using his friend, Perkins said he was not going to be dismissive of their effort publicly while they were trying to make a run for a full series anyway. Now, the character, Alex West, the main character, he carries Norman's ashes around in an urn while he's out there as an adult, out and about. He's naive about the outside world, though. He's all too trusting of most who try to offer help, although some of those people that offer help are really trying to take advantage of Alex's naivete to get their hands on his prime real estate holdings. The motel itself, however, it's completely run down from decades of lack of use, and most people who hear about it, if they remember it at all, think it should be demolished. In honor of Norman, though, Alex, he aims to reopen the Bates Motel and to make Norman proud in his own way as an honor to his many years of friendship. Alex aims to renovate it back to its former glory, maybe even more than that, but he finds that the Bates house already illegally inhabits this spunky runaway girl named Willie, played by Lori Petty. Willie, despite wearing a chicken costume, and that's no joke, she manages to worm her way into staying and helping Alex realize his dream of making a go of this motel business that he found himself plunged into. But not everybody wants the business to succeed, and Alex begins to see the ghost of Mrs. Bates around the place. Unusual calamities do begin to occur that threaten the establishment's livelihood before it can ever begin. Now, in what is obviously the first taste of what the Bates Motel series would be like, the final third of the film, after we get all of that introduction and setup underway, it takes a detour. We're introduced to Alex's first guest to stay at the motel. She's an aerobics instructor named Barbara Peters, played by Carrie Keene. Barbara claims to be wanting peace and quiet to try to get some writing done, but in actuality, she really wants to stay at the motel to slash her wrists in the bathtub, something that, if you've seen Psycho 3, you already know that it had been done there the year before, at least that angle. At this point, Barbara's visited by this young woman named Sally, played by Christine Hodge, who stops her and then takes her to this 1950s-themed party that's happening at the motel. At least I, I think it's happening there. And while there... Barbara is pursued by this young cruiser named Tony, played by Jason Bateman, and the two have unusually strong feelings for one another they can't really describe, despite her protestations about their age difference. He's still insistent that they do something romantically, but there's much more to the events that transpire that night than meets the eye. Now, each week's episode of this proposed anthology series was to similarly feature that new guest in the hotel. Even though the premise was kind of semi-comic, the stories would be tainted by tragedy, but ultimately it would be uplifting as the Bates Motel becomes a place of better outcomes. Instead of each guest becoming a victim there, as you would suspect, Rothstein envisioned that the motel, after a bad karma-destroying psychic exorcism takes place in this pilot, it would become more a place of rest, contemplation, and redemption, and each guest would find a second chance at life through the mystical karma that somehow the motel manages to possess. Bud Court hoped his career was going to grow as the series progressed instead of just welcoming guests to the hotel for their story like Mr. Rourke on Fantasy Island. He wanted his character to have a story arc through the series, and he called the premise straight out of American Gothic, like a painting by Grant Wood or Andrew Wyeth. Now, I've already mentioned that this TV movie does ignore the theatrically released sequels, and that's fine if it wants to do that. Many more potential viewers might watch this TV movie 
in its initial airing back in 1987, they probably had only really seen the original Psycho. Maybe they may have been confused by any developments that happened afterward if they didn't see Psycho 2 or 3. TV audiences are much different than the movie-going audiences, especially when the TV audience tends to be more family-oriented, and those Psycho films were R-rated. But from the get-go, everything really does feel out of place if you're a fan of the Psycho franchise, starting with the idiotic idea that a young child was not only going to inhabit the same mental institution as a serial killer like Norman Bates, but that the staff there were going to see no problem in letting the young tyke be Norman's surrogate son immediately. The script, even though Rothstein kind of was known more as a screenwriter, it's still pretty ham-handed in the way that it pits these two as would-be friends when they witness young Alex stuff a dead bird to try to keep it looking lifelike, knowing Norman's hobby of taxidermy, and it's just a coincidence that the young boy decides he's going to try it independent of him. And they suggest maybe he'd do well to learn from the sweet man, Norman Bates, who killed so many women, who filled his own mother with sawdust and sewed her up tight, while he eventually proceeded to butcher pretty much anyone who he felt turned on by or threatened by. And what a nice story, I guess, this is already turning out to be, if you've seen the original Psycho, right? Doesn't quite make sense if you have. Then again, Rothstein does proceed to ignore fundamental things that should not ever be ignored by anybody who has actually seen Psycho. For starters, the town that the Bates Motel is closest to is called Fairvale in the original Psycho, but it's called Fairville in this movie. And what was a small town in Central California, in North Central California, now looks suspiciously like Burbank in almost every detail because it was partially shot there. It's bad enough that Rothstein can't get the basic name of the town right that he's supposed to be adapting, but then he proceeds to further exacerbate the geographical errors by making the Bates Motel actually reside in or a half mile out of Fairville, so-called Fairville at least, when it's clear, at least according to Norman himself, if you watch the original Psycho, that it's about 15 miles away. Now, this is presumably done in order to introduce a substory involving Alex's full-hearted desire to try to keep this motel running on this prime piece of real estate that developers in Fairville have been drooling over for years, as evidenced by the loan officer that Alex sees, who is astonished that such great property is going to go to waste when he could be making some serious cash instead. So, meanwhile, Alex and his crew of construction men set about renovating the motel area, including for some reason adding a fountain. And then when they put in the fountain, they unearth the grave of Mrs. Bates. Of course, anybody who's ever seen Psycho knows that Mrs. Bates, well, she was not really buried, at least not for a long time. The main premise of Psycho hinges on Mrs. Bates' body still residing above ground in the house. I guess it could be argued that they may have finally laid Mrs. Bates' to rest in the ground after Norman had been arrested, but the body that they find could not possibly be Mrs. Bates because we all know that her body had been meticulously preserved by Norman through his taxidermy hobby. It would not have decomposed to skeletal status as it is shown in this movie. And further adding insult to injury for psycho buffs, they all proceed to claim Mrs. Bates' first name is Gloria, not Norma, as it has been since the story's inception. Don't know why they changed it, but... Change it they have, and at this point you begin to realize that Rothstein must have whipped out this teleplay, either not having seen the original Hitchcock flick, or just had such time constraints he didn't just bother to try to rent the movie before he proceeded to type it all out in the screenplay. 
Now, Bates Motel did air. It, it aired on July 5th, 1987. It was at 9 o'clock in the time slot. It fared reasonably well in the ratings in that slot, but not nearly enough to give NBC the kind of confidence to greenlight the series. As a potential horror fantasy TV show anthology, it does have some legs, potentially, but unfortunately, as a movie, a standalone movie, Bates Motel flat out stinks, and that's what it remains today, and it's especially frustrating for fans of the original Hitchcock film. Anthony Perkins himself eventually did see what they did with Bates Motel. He had been eager to see it, actually, but then when he watched it, he deemed it pretty terrible. That was a a year or two later. So really, the only tie-in to the Hitchcock film at all is the fact that the setting is the Bates Motel, which they renovate to the point where it doesn't even look like the place anymore. And what's worse, they add a supernatural element to these stories that had never been part of the original storyline. In fact, Psycho was really known as a groundbreaker for this new kind of horror flick because it features the monsters within us instead of external forces at play. By making it a very standard horror anthology, they negate the very thing that made Psycho such a unique entity when it did come out among all of horror franchises of its time. So even if you do accept the mystical premise, the tone of Bates Motel is still all over the map. It would seem like a comedy much of the time, and certainly the annoying little harpy that Laurie Petty plays should never be a character on anything but a really dumb sitcom. But but Court, he does infuse Alex with a sense of seriousness about his intentions and earnestness in respecting the wishes of good old Norm and Bates' memory, to the point where he carries Norman's ashes around wherever he goes, and it's pretty ironic here that Norman would choose to be cremated given his history of taxidermy, but... That's just one of the curious story angles here. And as silly as it is much of the time, as soon as the Bates Motel gets its first client, the entire tone of the movie takes a complete shift from goofball quirkiness to this melancholy whimsy as we see an attempted suicide followed by this very morose story of lives gone completely to waste. And just when you think the jarring tone shifts are over, Mrs. Bates does make her appearance yet again, only to have eventually not one, but two Scooby-Doo caliber demaskings to reveal who is behind the hauntings. Bates Motel, I do think, as a standalone film, it wasn't intending to be a standalone film, but nevertheless, as I mentioned, it exists like that today. It's like the remains of Norman Bates within the film. It should absolutely be burnt to ashes so that nobody has a chance of ever reviving it to haunt television again. Thankfully, this offshoot storyline was going to end with a solitary pilot. It can be completely ignored by fans of the ongoing film series because... They never really cross over into each other at all. It's with the exception of maybe Kurt Paul being in it, Kurt Paul being in all of the Psycho sequels. That's just desserts for a film that completely ignores the original film, its series, its subsequent sequel series, as well as its fans. So one and a half stars is the best I can give. Bates Motel, one and a half stars on my scale means that it is a poor movie. I don't recommend it to most people except for the absolute completists out there who must see and own all of the psycho tie-in series that are have ever been made out there. But I suspect even among them, if you're a huge psycho fan, it must it probably irks you in all the wrong ways as it does me. For all of the things it changes or gets wrong completely for no apparent reason, other than there must have been a lot of ignorance as to what kind of movie they were trying to make here. So one and a half stars out of four is what I give 1987's 
Bates Motel. I did watch the newer version of a Bates Motel series, which I stuck with for about a couple of seasons before I kind of lost interest altogether on that one as well. So I can't really vouch for that, although I do think it's much, much better than what you see in this particular attempt at a psycho series on television. Thank you, everyone, for listening to this uh, look at this fairly obscure film. If you do want to see it, it did get released on DVD eventually back in 2013 when the other Bates Motel series did debut on television. And you can find it kind of in a, in a four-pack with the other Psycho sequels, Psycho 2, 3, and 4. Along with Bates Motel, you can also find it for sale as a standalone uh, DVD as well. Never did progress into Blu-ray. If you've seen this film and you have your own thoughts about it, you can write to me. You can find my contact information at my website. That's at quipster.net, Q-W-I-P-S-T-E-R.net. Links to my Twitter feed, my Facebook page, and my Instagram are also there. Email is the best way to get in touch. As far as what I'm going to be covering next week, well, I've run out of the Psycho series, which was, of course, inspired by the original Hitchcock film. I'm going to get into another film that was inspired by Psycho, the original Hitchcock film, from 1980. From a director known for directing a lot of Hitchcockian films, at least during the 70s and 80s, and somewhat a little bit into the 1990s, his name is Brian De Palma, and he did a film called Dress to Kill, pretty much stealing a lot of elements from the original Psycho, but definitely adding a lot, lot more in terms of a, a lot of sex and violence, especially. But I'll get into the making of that, and there's a lot to talk about there on next week's episode so check out dress to kill from 1980 brian de palma at his peak for the next episode and until then thank you everyone so much for joining me as we travel around the world in 80s movies (laughs) 